0: Maybe better than the way we sound normally. Who knows? I was reminded of a story about this fellow. Cigarette industry had heard about him because he had—he uh, was just in such terrific health and ran marathons and everything else. He'd been about 70 years old, and he was smoking two or three packs of cigarettes a day ever since he was about 15. They wanted to get him on television. They thought they could use him to overcome some of the... Some of the uh, information about cigarettes and how detrimental they are to people's health. Well, they were going to use this guy on TV, happened to be an early morning program he was to be interviewed on. He didn't know that when he agreed to it, and they said, well, now, uh, you are in good shape. And I said, oh, man, yeah, I'm in great shape. Terrific. These cigarettes don't hurt me. They don't bother me at all. I can, uh, I can show up. What, uh, what's the plan? And they said, well, we're going to pick you up about 6.30 uh, or 7 in the morning because the program begins at 8 o'clock. And the guy said, oh, no, I can't do that. And they said, well, why not? He said, because I don't stop coughing till nearly noon. <laughs> so it's not because of cigarettes, I can assure you, but because of the pollen that I may be having a coughing spell here in a little while. I want to tell you uh, what happened to me years ago. In 1946, I got out of the Marine Corps after about three and a half years and had gone there right out of high school and had no idea what I was really going to do in life uh, other than I'd always had a childhood thought of being a lawyer and possibly going into politics. And uh, I had some remarkable experiences in the Marine Corps, for which I am indebted to both God and the Marine Corps. the um, Experiences there began to open me up to what God wanted to do in my life, and I came to realize that he wanted to do more than be just a name. He wanted to be more in my life than just a definition, just a theory, because I believed in him. I I believed in uh, the Bible, although I didn't read it much. Uh, I believed in the deity of Christ. I believed all those things, but I didn't have any real, living, kind of life-changing relationship with him. I'd pray, I'd pray when I got uh, in trouble or was afraid one thing or another But as far as Christ being a real vital part of my life, uh, it just wasn't there. But God had been working on me and my life as I looked back for about a year and a half before I came home in the summer of 46 and planned to go to Baylor, which I'd always planned to do. And in a revival meeting in Dallas, Texas, in Cole Park, I went to that meeting, and I made a decision there. I made a decision to give my life to the Lord in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that would represent a more genuine commitment on my part. I had no idea that I was going to preach. That, that was not in my mind. It never occurred to me. And had you mentioned that to me, uh, I, I would just have said, no, that's, that's not what I plan to do at all. Not that I had uh, any antipathy toward that or hostility. I just didn't feel that that was what I was to do. And uh, the thought was a stranger to me. I went down to Baylor and I I decided to major in English because I didn't know whether I wanted to go to law school or whether I wanted to major in religion or Bible as we called it then. And so I I started the school and I started getting some invitations around through the BSU, the Baptist Student Union, and from little churches and and other places to kind of tell my story, which is pretty much what I've told you right here. I'd amplified some and I also started going out on Sunday afternoon. Uh, because some guys had services out at the state venereal disease clinic in Waco. I don't think that's there any longer, but they had a state facility there for the treatment of venereal disease. And, and uh, some guys were, would go out there and preach, and they invited me to go along, and I'd give my testimony, and a couple of times I would kind of bring a little devotional. It certainly wasn't a, a sermon. And I, I loved those invitations and opportunities and had a warm spirit inside of me and a feeling about it when I did it, but still no real sense of being called to preach the gospel. And then one day in the spring of 1947, I received a telephone call from Dr. W. F. Howard, who was the director of student ministries in Texas. And he said, "Bugner, you know we're having a youth revival up here at Jacksboro, Texas. And we had people going to preach up there. They, none of us had, and I wasn't even a part of the group then, But most of them didn't have more than a couple of sermons, and so they never got asked to speak more than twice. And we'd have, we'd ask, uh, you know, Jack Robinson would speak a couple of times, and Howard Budd Jr. a couple of times, and Ralph Langley a couple of times. And I don't know who was preaching up there at Jacksboro in that revival, but Charlie Welburn, who was sort of the the epitome of of preachers in in that time and at Baylor, he was just the most polished and erudite. And... uh, Charlie Wilburn was to close out that revival meeting on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, but he'd gotten sick. And W.F. Howard called me and said, Buckner, will you go up to Jacksboro and conclude that revival meeting? I mean, that's like sending the, you know, that's the cleanup hitter. You come in there, the, the last one is supposed to be, you know, sort of the the best of all. And I said, oh, Dr. Howard, yes. I said yes before I thought about it, really. I I agreed to it, and then I began to realize I only had one little talk. And so I started to work on a sermon. I had never preached a formal sermon in my life, and this was to be in big church, I mean on Sunday morning, with people with suits and ties on and that sort of thing. And I I had no idea where to begin or how to begin. I figured I could get through Saturday night by kind of telling my story but I had no idea what to do on Sunday morning. I mean the high and holy hour on Sunday morning. I could take you to the very spot in Brooks Hall where I lived, and I could take you to the spot where my desk was, and I sat down there, and I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need help. I don't know how to preach, but I'm supposed to go up there and preach in Jacksboro, Texas. And so I opened my Bible, and I don't know whether I had had this uh, passage suggested to me by one of the Bible courses I was taking at Baylor, or where I just, uh, whether I just read it in my own devotionals or not, I, I don't remember that. Other than that, I do remember I turned to Paul's testimony, which is recorded. He gave his testimony a number of times, wrote it, probably spoke it many other times. We have it uh, written a number of places, and one of the places is in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And this is what he's saying. This man who has come out of... Uh, a deep devotion to religion, and who exceeded all of his own age group in the pursuit of the law and of righteousness through the law. He wanted to be right with God more than anything in the world. And he writes in the third chapter of the book of Philippians these words, If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to boast, listen to what I'm saying. I had a lot of good works, a lot of religion. I knew the law, and I worked at keeping it and wanted to destroy those who didn't. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, underline that, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, religious law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I worked up a sermon. I'm sure it's probably the worst sermon ever preached in the history of Christendom. And I got ready to go up to Jacksboro, Texas to speak on that passage of Scripture in big church on Sunday morning. And I want to talk about that passage for just a moment with you, and then we'll go back to Jacksboro. More than I want to know God More than you want to know God, God wants to know you. He began. He took the initiative. He saw you from before the foundation of the world, loved you, and wanted to know you, and wanted you and me and all of us to be his. There is a legend, and I want to emphasize legend. There's a legend about Jesus talking with his heavenly father the night before he came to be born in Bethlehem. And he asked his father, Father, what do I tell them? And the legend says the heavenly father said to Jesus, Well, son, Just tell them that I love them. Better than that, show them that I love them. And that's why he came, because he loves you. And if you ever wonder how much he loves you, he gave his only son to bring his love to you. He was literally dying to love you. Incomprehensible that kind of love. He wants to know you. And He wants us to know Him. How do we know about God fully and completely? We do not know it from nature, although it reveals God in many ways. We do not know it from science, although there is a testimony to the creative genius of God. We do not know it from the Old Testament, though we get hints of it there. We do not really know the love of God until it comes in person in Jesus Christ. I've told you the story about the little girl whose father would come in and tell her stories at night, bedtime stories, so she could go to sleep. He would sit there and tell the story. And after a number of weeks or even months of doing this, he decided to put it on a tape recorder He would go in, tuck her in, kiss her, and then turn the tape recorder on, and he'd go back to reading or whatever work he was doing. The little girl, after a few nights of that, said, Daddy, I I love the story, but I really want somebody with skin on to tell me about it. Listen, Jesus is God with skin on. He is God incarnate, and he has come from Bethlehem to Calvary and beyond because he loves you, and he wants to know you intimately and personally. He wants to get inside of your life and give you life. He wants us to know him, to choose to know him. I've done some study the last couple of weeks on the word know, that I may know him. In Timothy, Paul says that I may know him, not just know about him. I knew a lot about him. Anybody in America today that's that's half sensitive to what's going on knows about Jesus, knows about God. We all have some information about him, but what he wants to do is know us at a level deeper than mere acquaintance with information. last couple of weeks, as I say, I've been reading, went back and read a lot of material out of the great uh, books of the Western world on knowledge, how do people know? And beginning with Plato and Aristotle and Aquinas and uh, Augustine and uh, John Stuart Mill and uh, John Dewey, and on and on and on, uh, William James, on and on and on. People, philosophical in nature and intelligence, who may or may not be Christians, said there are two levels of knowledge. One is knowledge about something, and the other is knowledge of someone. You see, we don't know people the way we know things. And God is not a thing. So we can never know him as a thing, just formulas and definitions and descriptions. He is a person, and he is to be known as a person is known. And you know a person by letting them into your life and they letting you into their life. We have many acquaintances, don't we? We have many acquaintances, but there is a different level from being an acquaintance to knowing somebody, to having them open up and reveal their nature to you, their heart to you, their spirit to you. That is supremely done in marriage. And isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, sexual intercourse is described as a man, he went into her and he knew her. What that is saying is that real knowledge comes by this impregnation getting into another person That kind of knowing is to be reserved for marriage. But that's exactly what God wants to do in us and wants us to do with him. 164 times the apostle Paul uses the phrase, phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him. And he in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So what God wants to do is to come into our life and have spiritual intercourse with us at the deepest levels of our life, our mind, our spirit, our souls, our body, to penetrate every part of our life and bring to us this power of the resurrection. He wants to get inside of us and give us resurrection life. Powerful truth. God wants to live in you and in me. Everybody in this room knows about him. Do you really know him? I believe the great question that the church in America must face is that question. There are many, but I think this is supreme. Do you really know him? Not just about him. You know where he was born and how he died, but has he been born in you? And has he come to give you life, resurrection life? through his own resurrection, power, which he brings into you when you know him and he knows you. Is he the Lord or can you say my Lord? Martin Luther said the strength of the Christian religion was in its personal pronouns. He was a great student of Paul's, much like him in many ways can we say with Thomas, my Lord, my God, not just the Lord and a God, but my Lord, my God. A little chorus we used to sing, he is mine, he is mine. Loving me, seeking me, finding me, keeping me, he is mine. Most of you in this room did not know Charlie Fanning, my father. You may know about him. You've heard me say some things about him. Some of you met him before he went to be with the Lord a number of years ago. You knew about him. You may know have known him a little bit. I knew him a lot. He was my father. He not only through love for my mother brought me into this world as the product of love, he loved me. Long before I even knew his name, I knew he loved me. And when I came to realize his love for me, it it wasn't hard to love him back. He's my father. He's also my brother's father. Bob has the same feelings that I do about Charlie. But Bob, younger than I, had a different perspective, grew up at a different time. He saw Charlie in some ways that maybe I didn't see him and vice versa. You see, the important thing is that Bob's, and my experience, they do not have to be the same. He had his own unique relationship. To Charlie, I have my own unique relationship to him. We both know him. He knew us. We loved him. He loved us. Bob and I do not have to agree on every impression about Charlie. We do agree upon the fact that he loved us and we love him. It's the same way with your heavenly father. Every one of us is to have a unique, special, individual kind of relationship with him. And it will be different from everyone else's. Not wrong, just different. The same in the sense that it is the same kind of love for the same Father who loves us. But the varieties of that experience in your heart and mind and soul and spirit will be different. That's wonderful. That's marvelous. We're not all alike. And our experience with the Father is not all alike. But He is alike to all of us in that He loves us and gave Himself for us and to us. And he has come to give us the power to live. A kind of power that doesn't come anywhere else. Not from religion, Paul alluded to that. Not from intelligence, he had much of it. One of the greatest minds that ever lived was that of Paul's. What is it that makes a difference in his life, that made a difference in his life? and will in yours and mine, it is knowing him whom to know, to know personally, is life everlasting. Well, I drove up to Jacksboro from Waco on Saturday morning, scared to death. And I got up there and I can't remember where I was staying. I think I was staying in the home of the pastor. And he was really disappointed, I know that, because he would expected the first team guy to be there. And here was a substitute who had who'd hardly put on the uniform coming in there to speak. I was scared to death. And I made it through Saturday night okay. I kind of did my usual thing that I'd done at BSU meetings and that sort of thing. I was really kind of treading water trying to make it to Sunday morning. And then I showed up Sunday morning with this sermon that I had prepared on this passage of Scripture. I thought I would preach for at least 30 minutes. I had all of this material and I'd worked through all these ideas and I'd read commentaries, half of which I didn't understand. But I was just groping along. I got up on Sunday morning and I preached. (laughs) Preached. That that is an exaggeration if you ever heard it. But I I did the best I could. I got up there on Sunday morning and started that sermon. And I thought I'd preach thirty minutes. And I gazed at my watch kind of carefully like that. Ten minutes. That's right, I was through in 10 minutes. I told him everything I knew about Paul and Jesus and the new life and everything in 10 minutes. I know the pastor was surprised to see me start giving the invitation. And uh, that's what I did. That's what you're supposed to do. And I gave that invitation. And I, I would never believe it. I didn't believe it. But I believed God. because people started coming to make decisions. Over 20 people of that little congregation that morning made decisions. People coming in tears, grown people being converted. One man for whom they'd been praying for 15 years came forward to accept Christ. I drove back to Waco. And I heard what I think was God telling me, Bugner, you're not a good preacher. (laughs) You know very little about the Bible. You don't have enough material to even fill up a Sunday morning worship service. But if you'll trust me, if you'll know me and let me know you and the power of my resurrection, I'll use you. It was 1947, and I knew at that point, or felt strongly at that point, that God was calling me. That's how I got here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Last week I was with my good friend Browning Ware. He and I were roommates in Baylor and close friends through the years. And I was speaking for him. He's pastor of the First Baptist Church and in Austin, and I was there to speak for a deacon's and their wives' banquet last week. And uh, he and I were visiting beforehand, and I said, B, you know, what you and I do doesn't make any sense. I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. Here we are after all these years, driving down there to church on Sunday morning, and I look at those notes as I did this morning, driving down here few little notes that I have in the Bible and thinking back on what I've thought about all this week. And I look at it and I say, Lord, that won't preach. I mean, that, that's nothing. And unless you somehow get into this, there's no reason for my being here. I said, Browning, what you and I do without God and without the Holy Spirit is vanity of vanities. It's sounding brass and clanging cymbals. It's nothing but words. But in him and through him and knowing him and the power of his resurrection, however faltering the words, however off-key the music, however stumbling our thoughts, God speaks to his people. And he says to you, and he says through me to you this morning, sore throat and all, God loves you, wants to know you intimately and personally, wants to crawl inside your spirit, your mind, your life, and to give you power like you have never known, strength like you've never experienced, if you will do it. Alfred Adler was a great uh, psychoanalyst, and he had a practice of, after the first visit with a patient, he would ask the patient a question and would say, what would you do if you knew you were cured? What would you do if you knew you were cured? and he would sit there and listen to the answer from the person. And then he would get up, walk over, and open the door to his office, and he would say to that patient, Now, go do it. Just do it. If you knew you were forgiven, what would you do? You are forgiven by accepting the love and grace of God, you are forgiven. Now go live like a forgiven person. If you knew you were loved by God, what would you do? Do it. You are loved. He knows you and wants you to know him and the power of of his resurrection. You can know that right here today. This can be your Jacksboro, Texas experience right here today. You can go out of this room knowing that God is with you and that you can do all things through him who will strengthen you. Don't put it off. Don't postpone it. Know him. Whom to know truly is life now and life forever. I'll be here at the base of this aisle to greet you as you come to make whatever decision you're making. Just do it now. God's door is open. Just do it. Let's stand and sing.